Section 71, Introduction Joseph Smith had learned during the four conferences in November that while he was working on the inspired revision of the scriptures, a variety of administrative problems had arisen. Nevertheless, by industrious endeavor, he did succeed in getting Oliver Cowdery and John Whitmer launched forth on their 800-mile trip to Independence, Missouri. He then turned back to the revision of the scriptures, but not for long. By December 1, 1831, a wave of bitter enmity toward the church had arisen, partially as a result of the articles published by the apostate Ezra Booth in the Ohio Star at Ravenna. This development required a temporary suspension of the work on the scriptures. The Lord called for an intensive missionary campaign by Joseph and Sidney Rigdon. They were to go out among the public and proclaim the glorious message of the restoration of the gospel among the people. Among the members of the church, they would preach more of the meat of the gospel in order to firm up their appreciation for the restoration. The Lord's plan for the immediate future was set forth in a revelation dated December 1, 1831. Here is the text of section 71. Behold, Thus saith the Lord unto you, my servants Joseph Smith, Jr., and Sidney Rigdon, that the time has verily come that it is necessary and expedient in me that you should open your mouths in proclaiming my gospel, the things of the kingdom, expounding the mysteries thereof out of the scriptures, according to that portion of spirit and power which shall be given unto you, even as I will. When I read this verse in the mission field, I told Elder Widsow, who was then presiding over the European missions, that I didn't think there were any mysteries in the scriptures. They seemed perfectly clear to me. Elder Widsow knew immediately he had to give this 17-year-old missionary a more humble perspective. As a result, the following dialogue took place. Elder Skousen, open your doctrine and covenants to section 88. There are a number of mysteries in that scripture. For example, read verse 37 and explain space to me. I replied, oh, that's easy. Space is everything from here on out. Wrong, he said. Read it. <laughs> so I read it as I had a number of times before, but this time I realized I hadn't actually understood what it said. So I read it slowly and out loud. Quote, and there are many kingdoms, for there is no space in which there is no kingdom, and there is no kingdom in which there is no space, either a greater or a lesser kingdom. Unquote. Now that's Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verse 37. I analyzed this verse carefully, and with the guidance of Elder Widso, I came up with the following results. One, there is no kingdom among the family of the gods outside of the region which the gods designate as their sacred territory of, quote, space, unquote. Two, they never build a kingdom outside of their sacred territory of space. Three, therefore space is a finite part of the eternities where the gods perform their great labor of gradually expanding the universe by continually adding organized kingdoms to it. 
After I mentioned point three, Elder Wilson said, now you are beginning to get the big picture. I then asked Elder Wilson what the father meant by, quote, mysteries in the scriptures, unquote. He said it is a revelation the Lord has placed in the scriptures, but we have never picked up on it, never have understood it. That will only come through prayer and the whispering of the Spirit as we read other scriptures. So in this first verse, the Lord wanted Joseph and Sidney to begin illuminating the minds of the saints with some of the marvelous teachings of the scriptures which the new members of the church had not yet grasped. He wanted them to get inspired and thrilled with what was happening and what was being revealed. Verily I say unto you, Proclaim unto the world in the regions round about, and in the church also, for the space of a season, even until it shall be made known unto you. Verily this is a mission for a season which I give unto you. Wherefore, labor ye in my vineyard, call upon the inhabitants of the earth, and bear record, and prepare the way for the commandments and revelations which are to come. This mission of Joseph and Sidney Rigdon among the members of the church was to prepare them for the distribution of the Book of Commandments, which was soon to carry the Lord's modern series of revelations into their midst. Now behold, this is wisdom. Whoso readeth, let him understand and receive also. For unto him that receiveth it shall be given more abundantly, even power. Of course, the Book of Commandments was only the beginning. Those who received these inspired revelations would receive more, many more. Wherefore, confound your enemies. Call upon them to meet you both in public and in private. And inasmuch as ye are faithful, their shame shall be made manifest. Wherefore, let them bring forth their strong reasons against the Lord. The Lord instructed Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon to be bold in making their presentation. They were to invite any opponents to meet them in open discussion before the public. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, There is no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And if any man lift his voice against you, ye shall be confounded in mine own due time. It is the will of the Lord to have the enemies of the gospel confounded and their arguments refuted from the scriptures. Wherefore, keep my commandments. They are true and faithful. Even so. Amen. As soon as the book of commandments was circulated, the Lord wanted the saints to carefully study it and then faithfully perform the laws and commandments which it contained. Section 72 Introduction. Here is the way the prophet Joseph Smith introduces section 72. Quote, Knowing now the mind of the Lord that the time had come that the gospel should be proclaimed in power and demonstration to the world from the scriptures and reasoning with men as in days of old, I took a journey to Kirtland in company with Elder Sidney Rigdon on the third day of December, 1831, to fulfill the above revelation, which is set forth in section 71. On the 4th of December, several of the elders and members assembled together to learn their duty and for edification, 
and after some time had been spent in conversing about their temporal and spiritual welfare, I received the following, unquote. This was the last of 37 revelations Joseph had received during the year 1831. And this is the text of section 72. Hearken, and listen to the voice of the Lord, O ye who have assembled yourselves together, who are the high priests of my church, to whom the kingdom and power have been given. At the conference in Kirtland back in June 1, 1831, a number of elders were ordained high priests. Joseph explained that these individuals now held the same Melchizedek priesthood as the first presidency, but they did not have the same power and authority as the church leaders. For verily thus saith the Lord, It is expedient in me for a bishop to be appointed unto you, or of you, unto the church in this part of the Lord's vineyard. The pressure of church business had made it apparent to the saints in Kirtland that they needed a bishop in addition to Bishop Partridge in Zion. And verily in this thing ye have done wisely, for it is required of the Lord at the hand of every steward to render an account of his stewardship, both in time and in eternity. The Lord commanded these priesthood leaders to recognize the need for a bishop in Kirtland. Under the law of consecration, there had to be a bishop to appoint the head of every family as a steward and give him an assignment for which he would be accountable both in this life and in the life to come. For he who is faithful and wise in time is accounted worthy to inherit the mansions prepared for him of my father. In fact, those who are faithful in executing their stewardship during earth life are entitled to a mansion in the heavenly kingdom of the Father. Verily I say unto you, the elders of the church in this part of my vineyard shall render an account of their stewardship unto the bishop who shall be appointed of me in this part of my vineyard. The Lord made it clear that each steward in Kirtland would be required to make an accounting to the bishop after he was appointed in Kirtland. These things shall be had on record, to be handed over unto the bishop in Zion. The bishop in Kirtland must then make a report to the presiding bishop in Zion. Therefore the church would provide a double record, one in the possession of the local bishop, and one would be sent to the presiding bishop in Zion. And the duty of the bishop shall be made known by the commandments which have been given, and the voice of the conference. The duties of the local bishop will be assigned to him by the conference or local authorities, and by the commandments of the Lord from time to time. And now verily I say unto you, my servant Newell K. Whitney is the man who shall be appointed and ordained unto this power. This is the will of the Lord your God, your Redeemer. Even so, amen. Then came the big announcement. The bishop in Kirtland, who had been designated by the Lord, was to be Newell K. Whitney, the very man who had been seized by an evil spirit in his earlier career and had to be rescued by Joseph Smith, who rebuked the evil spirit and cast it out. When Newell heard Joseph announce that he was to be the new bishop in Kirtland, it came as a great shock to him. He had watched the travails of the first bishop, Edward Partridge, as he undertook the burden of working out stewardships and inducing members with financial substance to consecrate their surplus portion 
to the storehouse and thereby provide stewardships for those less fortunate. He knew this was a very difficult task. In a spirit of real anguish, Newell went to Joseph after the revelation was over and said, quote, I cannot see a bishop in myself, Brother Joseph, but if you say it's the Lord's will, I'll try, unquote. Joseph was well aware of the hesitancy which Newell felt in taking on this great calling, but he felt Newell should have the confirmation of the Lord. Therefore, Joseph said, quote, You need not take my word alone. Go and ask the Father for yourself, unquote. That night, Newell knelt in humble prayer and actually heard a voice from heaven say to him clearly and explicitly, quote, Thy strength is in me. Unquote. The next morning, Newell went to Joseph and said he was ready to undertake the office to which he had been called. And this is in the Comprehensive History of the Church, Volume 1, page 271, Note. The word of the Lord, in addition to the law which has been given, making known the duty of the bishop who has been ordained unto the church in this part of the vineyard, which is verily this, to keep the Lord's storehouse, to receive the funds of the church in this part of the vineyard, to take an account of the elders as before has been commanded, and to administer to their wants, who shall pay for that which they receive, inasmuch as they have wherewith to pay, that this also may be consecrated to the good of the church, to the poor and needy. In these verses, the Lord seeks to itemize the duties of the new bishop in Kirtland so that he can perform each of the tasks enumerated. One of his most important tasks will be to maintain the Lord's storehouse and receive the funds that accumulate under the law of consecration. The bishop must keep a strict account of each steward and record the account of each individual consecration. And he who hath not wherewith to pay... An account shall be taken and handed over to the bishop of Zion, who shall pay the debt out of that which the Lord shall put into his hands. The Lord said that when the church in Kirtland assumes obligations or debts from time to time, these obligations should be met by the bishop from the Kirtland storehouse. And the labors of the faithful who labor in spiritual things, in administering the gospel and the things of the kingdom unto the church and unto the world, shall answer the debt unto the bishop in Zion. Thus it cometh out of the church. For according to the law, every man that cometh up to Zion must lay all things before the bishop in Zion. He shall also see that those who minister in the spiritual needs of the church in Kirtland will be provided with an adequate livelihood. And now verily I say unto you, that as every elder in this part of the vineyard must give an account of his stewardship unto the bishop in this part of the vineyard, a certificate from the judge or bishop in this part of the vineyard unto the bishop in Zion rendereth every man acceptable and answereth all things for an inheritance and to be received as a wise steward and as a faithful laborer. Otherwise he shall not be accepted of the bishop of Zion." As stewards from Kirtland leave Ohio and go down to Zion in Missouri, they are to carry with them a certificate which assures the bishop in Zion that each man is a true and faithful steward. If he has no such certificate to present to the bishop in Zion, he is not to be accepted in Zion. Now verily I say unto you, 
Let every elder who shall give an account unto the bishop of the church in this part of the vineyard be recommended by the church or churches in which he labors, that he may render himself and his accounts approved in all things. The bishop in Kirtland has a duty to see that every elder who goes forth from Kirtland shall carry with him a recommend or certificate assuring other branches of the church as well as the general public that this individual is an honorable and faithful member of the church. And again, let my servants, who are appointed as stewards over the literary concerns of my church, have claim for assistance upon the bishop or bishops in all things, that the revelations may be published and go forth unto the ends of the earth, that they also may obtain funds which shall benefit the church in all things, that they also may render themselves approved in all things, and be accounted as wise stewards. The publishing and distribution of the Book of Commandments shall be the work of the designated stewards, and the bishop shall see that these stewards are provided with sufficient means to vigorously magnify their assignment. And now behold, this shall be an ensample for all the extensive branches of my church, in whatsoever land they shall be established. And now I make an end of my sayings. Amen. These are the examples that the branches of the church should follow as the kingdom spreads abroad. A few words in addition to the laws of the kingdom, respecting the members of the church, they that are appointed by the Holy Spirit to go up unto Zion, and they who are privileged to go up unto Zion. Let them carry up unto the bishop a certificate from three elders of the church, or a certificate from the bishop, any who desire to leave Kirtland and go to Zion should be permitted to do so. However, they should only do so if they are guided by the Spirit of the Lord in making their decision. Those who go to Zion should make a certificate signed by three members of their branch. This document should certify as to their worthiness and integrity as members of the church. The bishop can also provide a certificate whenever a worthy member of the church requests him to do so. Otherwise he who shall go up unto the land of Zion shall not be accounted as a wise steward. This is also an ensample. Amen. Anyone coming into Zion without a certificate should be looked upon as an unwise steward who is unable to secure a recommend. Section 73, Introduction One of the greatest anxieties of Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon was knowing whether or not they were performing the tasks which the Lord expected of them. There were so many fields to be harvested through missionary work, and so many scriptures that yet remained to be reviewed and revised. On January 10, 1832, the restless spirit of Joseph needed direction. He knew that a conference had been scheduled for January 25th in Amherst, Ohio, but meanwhile, what should Joseph and Sidney Rigdon be doing to occupy their time? Here is what the Lord told them. For verily thus saith the Lord, It is expedient in me that they should continue preaching the gospel, and in exhortation to the churches in the regions round about until conference. The first direction was to look for opportunities to preach the gospel to the various branches of the church in this region of Ohio. 
And then, behold, it shall be made known unto them by the voice of the conference their several missions. The Lord said that at the conference in Amherst there would be specific instructions concerning the several missions which should be immediately undertaken. Now verily I say unto you, my servants Joseph Smith, Jr., and Sidney Rigdon, saith the Lord, It is expedient to translate again, and, inasmuch as it is practicable, to preach in the regions round about until conference, and after that it is expedient to continue the work of translation until it be finished. Meanwhile the Lord wanted Joseph and Sidney to resume the revision of the Scriptures again. In other words, their activities between now and January 25th should concentrate on the revision of the Scriptures, but the Lord said they should be alert for any opportunities to teach the saints and spread the word of the gospel as they had been previously instructed to do. And let this be a pattern unto the elders until further knowledge, even as it is written. Now I give no more unto you at this time. Gird up your loins and be sober. Even so. Amen. Of course, the other elders could not translate, but at least they could go abroad preaching and teaching. The Lord said these elders should occupy themselves in missionary work right up to the time of the conference. Section 74, Introduction As Joseph Smith continued the revision on the scriptures with Sidney Rigdon serving as scribe, they came across 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. In this epistle, Paul is attempting to counsel with couples who have been divided by one or the other, joining the Christian church, while the unconverted companion remained indifferent and aloof. Paul felt that the converted husband or wife sanctified the family by having the influence of the gospel principles in the home. Paul went on to say that the parents should not be divorced just because one of them was converted while the other was not. To the Jews, it was an important question as to whether or not the children were unholy if one of the parents was uncircumcised or unconverted. To get the answer to this question, Joseph appealed to the Lord and received the following revelation around January the 20th, 1832, shortly before the conference at Amherst, Ohio. Now the text of section 74 is as follows. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Now in the days of the apostles the law of circumcision was had among all the Jews who believed not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first verse sets forth the doctrine taught by Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 and 14. Paul felt the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the Christian wife, or the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the Christian husband. Jesus explains that in the days of the apostles, all non-Christian Jews were under the law of Moses and the law of circumcision. And it came to pass that there arose a great contention among the people concerning the law of circumcision. For the unbelieving husband was desirous that his children should be circumcised and become subject to the law of Moses, which law was fulfilled. 
But when married couples divided and the husband or wife became Christian, the status of the children was a matter of dispute. The unconverted husband or wife would insist that the boys be circumcised, so they would not be considered unholy. And it came to pass that the children, being brought up in subjection to the law of Moses, gave heed to the traditions of their fathers, and believed not the gospel of Christ, wherein they became unholy. It was also true that if the unconverted husband or wife raised the children under the law of Moses, they would be imbued with the traditions of their orthodox fathers. Wherefore, for this cause, the apostle wrote unto the church, giving unto them a commandment, not of the Lord, but of himself, that a believer should not be united to an unbeliever, except the law of Moses should be done away among them. Paul therefore gave it as his personal opinion, rather than as a command of the Lord, that the Christian should not marry anyone who was not of the Christian faith. However, if a Christian married an Orthodox Jew, there should be an agreement that the law of Moses would be done away with between them. That their children might remain without circumcision, and that the tradition might be done away, which saith that little children are unholy, for it was had among the Jews. But little children are holy, being sanctified through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And this is what the Scriptures mean. Paul felt it was very important that the children not be raised under the tradition of the law of Moses. In fact, it was imperative that the apostate doctrine which made little children unholy had to be abolished because little children are sanctified by the atonement of Jesus Christ with or without circumcision. This is what Paul the Apostle meant when he said, They are holy. Section 75, Introduction As the time drew near for the conference at Amherst, Ohio, Joseph gathered a number of the brethren from the vicinity of Hiram, where Joseph and Sidney Rigdon were living, and they traveled together to Amherst. The most important matter of business at this conference was the solemn moment when Joseph Smith would be sustained and ordained to be the president of the high priesthood, or in other words, the president of the church. Most of the elders attending this conference had volunteered to be missionaries, and they had been promised they would receive their instructions at this time. During this convocation, Joseph approached the Lord and received the following revelation. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I who speak even by the voice of my Spirit, even Alpha and Omega, your Lord and your God, even though this communication was by the, quote, voice of my spirit, unquote, the Savior wanted all those in attendance to know that the message they are about to receive is directly from the Lord. Hearken, O ye who have given your names to go forth to proclaim my gospel and to prune my vineyard. The Savior first addressed himself to those who had volunteered to be missionaries in proclaiming the gospel. Behold, I say unto you that it is my will that you should go forth and not tarry. Neither be idle, but labor with your might. There was an urgency connected with this missionary campaign. 
The Lord says they are not to tarry or delay their departure into their assigned fields. They are to labor diligently and with all their might. In other words, under no circumstances are they to dally or idle away their time. Lifting up your voices as with the sound of a trump, proclaiming the truth according to the revelations and commandments which I have given you. They are to declare the great message of the restoration of the gospel with enthusiasm and the spirit of a proclamation as though they were sounding a trumpet. And thus, if ye are faithful, ye shall be laden with many sheaves and crowned with honor and glory and immortality and eternal life. The Lord pronounced a glorious blessing on all his servants who go forth valiantly and faithfully perform their missionary labors. Their reward will be an abundant harvest of souls and great blessings both in this life and in eternity. Therefore verily I say unto my servant William E. McClellan, I revoke the commission which I gave unto him to go unto the eastern countries, and I give unto him a new commission and a new commandment, in the which I, the Lord, chasten him for the murmurings of his heart. Before announcing any new assignments, the Savior reprimands and revokes an earlier assignment given to William E. McClellan, who had taught school in five states and had boasted that he could write a revelation equal to those recorded by Joseph Smith. When he had completely failed, all of the witnesses to the Book of Commandments had immediately seen the folly of those who criticized the Lord's mode of expression in his divine revelations. This same William E. McClellan had been assigned some time earlier to go on a mission to the east, but he whimpered and murmured in his heart, wherefore the Lord canceled his calling. And he sinned. Nevertheless, I forgive him and say unto him again, Go ye into the south countries. The Lord wanted William McClellan to realize that he had sinned. Nevertheless, the Lord was willing to forgive him and send him on a different mission. This time it would be to the southern states. And let my servant Luke Johnson go with him and proclaim the things which I have commanded them. Elder McClellan is to have as his companion Luke Johnson. They are both to proclaim the gospel with great joy and with a spirit of acclamation, just as the Lord had commanded them from the beginning calling on the name of the Lord for the Comforter, which shall teach them all things that are expedient for them. The Savior said their message to the people must include an admonition to plead with the Lord for the administration of the Comforter or Holy Ghost. Only then will they have a testimony confirmed in their hearts. Thereafter it will teach them a multitude of principles which is essential for them to know praying always that they faint not. And inasmuch as they do this, I will be with them even unto the end. Behold, this is the will of the Lord your God concerning you. Even so. Amen. The missionaries must set the example in seeking through constant prayer the necessary strength to endure. Those they convert will also need to cultivate the capacity for fervent prayer that they faint not but endure to the end. And again, verily thus saith the Lord, Let my servant Orson Hyde and my servant Samuel H. Smith 
take their journey into the eastern countries, and proclaim the things which I have commanded them. And inasmuch as they are faithful, lo, I will be with them even unto the end. Now we come to a notable pair of missionaries. They are Orson Hyde, the former clerk in the store of Gilbert and Whitney, and Samuel H. Smith, the younger brother of the prophet Joseph. They fulfilled a mission originally assigned to William E. McClellan. The record shows that they traveled on foot 2,000 miles preaching the gospel in New York, Massachusetts, Maine, and Rhode Island. It was missionaries of this caliber that raised up the framework of the church in those early days. And again, verily I say unto my servant Lyman Johnson, and unto my servant Orson Pratt, they shall also take their journey into the eastern countries. And behold, and lo, I am with them also, even unto the end. Now we learn that two other missionaries were assigned to the eastern states. They were Orson Pratt and Lyman Johnson. Orson Pratt kept a record of their travels. They traveled 4,000 miles, mostly on foot, and preached the restored gospel in Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Connecticut. They did not return from this mission until the fall of 1832. And again I say unto my servant Asa Dodds, and unto my servant Cavs Wilson, that they also shall take their journey unto the western countries, and proclaim my gospel, even as I have commanded them. And he who is faithful shall overcome all things, and shall be lifted up at the last day. A set of missionaries named Asa Dodd and Calvin Wilson were sent into the western countries. This is assumed to be in the direction of Missouri. And again I say unto my servant Major N. Ashley and my servant Burr Riggs, let them take their journey also into the south country. In contrast to the more valiant missionaries, we have the name of Major N. Ashley and Burr Riggs who were assigned to the southern states. Although Burr Riggs had been ordained a high priest, he seems to have been slothful in his calling. By February 1833, he was brought up before the high council in Kirtland for failure to magnify his calling. Before the month was over, he had been excommunicated. Yea, let all those take their journey as I have commanded them, going from house to house, and from village to village, and from city to city. As with the apostles of old, the modern missionaries were instructed to go from house to house, and from village to village, and from city to city. And in whatsoever house ye enter, and they receive you, leave your blessing upon that house. And in whatsoever house ye enter, and they receive you not, ye shall depart speedily from that house, and shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. They were to bless every house where the message of the gospel was received, but if they were rejected, they were to depart speedily and shake the dust from their feet as a testimony against them. And you shall be filled with joy and gladness, and know this, that in the day of judgment you shall be judges of that house and condemn them, and it shall be more tolerable for the heathen in the day of judgment than for that house. Therefore gird up your loins and be faithful, 
and ye shall overcome all things, and be lifted up at the last day. Even so. Amen. The Lord says there will be a severe judgment against all those who reject the missionaries. In fact, these servants of the Lord will ultimately judge them in that great final judgment, and it will be more tolerable for the lowly heathen than those who turn against the light in this last dispensation. And again, thus saith the Lord unto you, O ye elders of my church, who have given your names that you might know his will concerning you. Behold, I say unto you, that it is the duty of the church to assist in supporting the families of those, and also to support the families of those who are called, and must needs be sent unto the world to proclaim the gospel unto the world. The Lord says it is the duty of the church members who are not called on missions to help take care of the families of those who have received calls. Wherefore I, the Lord, give unto you this commandment, that ye obtain places for your families, inasmuch as your brethren are willing to open their hearts. And let all such as can obtain places for their families and support of the church for them not fail to go into the world, whether to the east or to the west or to the north or to the south. And it is the duty of those who are leaving on missions to make the necessary arrangements so that their families can be cared for. Let them ask, and they shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto them, and be made known from on high, even by the Comforter, whither they shall go. Those leaving on missions must be guided by the Spirit as to the direction they should go. And again verily I say unto you, that every man who is obliged to provide for his own family, let him provide, and he shall in no wise lose his crown, and let him labor in the church. If some missionaries were in a position to provide for their own families rather than let them become a burden upon others, the Lord said they would be especially blessed. Let every man be diligent in all things, and the idler shall not have place in the church, except he repent and mend his ways. Once again the Lord urges the missionaries to be diligent and avoid idleness. Wherefore let my servant Simeon Carter and my servant Emer Harris be united in the ministry. Emer Harris was the brother of Martin Harris. And also my servant Ezra Thayer and my servant Thomas B. Marsh. Thomas B. Marsh became the senior member of the Quorum of the Twelve in Missouri, but he became jealous of Joseph Smith and falsely swore before a judge that Joseph Smith was the leader of the Danites, thinking that perhaps he would replace Joseph. He was promptly excommunicated, but years later pleaded with Brigham Young to just let him be a lowly member of the church. The saints allowed him mere membership, but he died soon afterwards a virtual vagabond. Also my servant Hiram Smith and my servant Reynolds Cahoon. Hiram Smith and Reynolds Cahoon went forth as missionary companions. And also my servant Daniel Stanton and my servant Seymour Brunson. David Stanton and Seymour Brunson served as companions. And also my servant Sylvester Smith and my servant Gideon Carter. Sylvester Smith and Gideon Carter were companions. Gideon was valiant to the end and was killed by the mob at the Crooked River Battle in 1838. 
and also my servant Ruggles Eames and my servant Stephen Burnett. Ruggles Eames and Stephen Burnett were companions, but were not actually appointed until a month later. And also my servant Micah B. Welton, and also my servant Eden Smith. Even so, amen. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to read more on the Prophet Joseph Smith, look for W. Cleon Skousen's book titled Brother Joseph at skousenlibrary.com.